Today's guest is Elizabeth Yarnell. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur. By day, she's a traditional naturopath empowering people with MS or other autoimmune issues to help themselves improve their futures. By night, she teaches movie-making skills to elementary and middle schoolers through online courses. She would love to share her unconventional story, the passion of empowering people to take care of themselves through knowledge. Please give a warm welcome to ever-blessed Elizabeth Yarnell. I would like to apologize in advance for the muddy recording and microphone difficulties. You are a woman of all trades. Like, I've never heard of a naturopath. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Is that how you pronounce you are. naturopath? Yes. And what is a CLT? A CLT stands for a certified leap therapist. And that is someone who is certified or trained in interpreting the MRT food sensitivity test, which is really the gold standard in the world of food sensitivity tests. And as a CLT, a certified LEAP therapist, I am trained to use those test results to design customized anti-inflammatory diets that are particular for that person. It's called an oligo-antigenic diet. I would love for the listeners to know a little bit more about the story that I've been referencing to since the beginning of our recording. Elizabeth, just tell us a little bit how you started this journey. What happened for you to move towards this type of path of your career? Well, it's such a good question because this wasn't what I ever envisioned myself doing. I was an instructional designer and a journalist and, and uh, working in the film and video industry for a good decade until one night in 1999, I went to sleep as usual and I awoke the next morning blind in my right eye and I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that's when I learned that 80% of MS patients will experience significant disability within 10 years of diagnosis. So this was about two weeks before my 30th birthday. And I was learning that by my 40th birthday, I would be in a wheelchair, which was shocking and not at all what I wanted. And when I asked my MS doctors, well, what can I do to make my future better? And they said, well, there's not much. You can take one of these injectable disease modifying therapeutic pharmaceuticals, which have toxic side effects and very, very low efficacy rates. Um, And they might slow down the course of your disease, but they're not going to make it go away. It's not a cure for it by any chance. Um, And that's all we can tell you. And I said to them, well, what about if I change my diet and my lifestyle and exercise my brain and all these things? And they said, it won't make a difference. You're still going to be on the same downhill slope that everybody with MS and really autoimmunity is on is this unrelenting downhill slope in life until you get to the bottom where you have severe disability and then you die. Oh, that is a horrible, horrible. No, you definitely didn't put that into your cards for sure. (laughs) Well, isn't that the most depressing thing you've ever heard? I mean, I went home and cried for six hours after I learned that from my doctor. But it was my then fiance, now my husband of 20 some years, 
who suggested, you know, maybe my diet might have something to do with it. And I thought, you know, he probably had a point because for the entire decade of my 20s, my staple foods that I kept in my apartment were Crystal Light, Diet Coke, and gummy bears. Yes, that I do recall from that. I'm like, boy, you're actually, you're a bump up better than what I, I eat. I eat Nutter Butter and <laughs> Arnold Palmer's. So it's like, and that's just like my daily, um, If even if I do eat, it's like one meal a day and maybe a shake because I just can't be able to make anything else because I'm just so busy but it's amazing how it it'll escape you because it just becomes part of your norm and you just you know put it aside as long as I'm eating something I'm okay as long as I'm eating something I'm okay you know I'm not you know I'm not starving myself I don't feel like I'm starving myself but it's like I've had issues where I completely forgot to drink water for the past three days I'm like what is now okay now what's going on with me here all of a sudden I'm I'm a little dizzy, I'm lightheaded, and I don't feel good. Well, oh, oh boy, behold, uh, I forgot to drink water. And I've actually put myself in the hospital a couple of times because of it. I'm like, the simplest things you would think of or the things that you wanted to, you think that you'll get around to eating that meal and eating, you know, something more balanced, but your life is so busy that what the most important thing in life is to feed your soul and feed your, your body in your mind, and it just kind of gets to the wayside because everybody else's priorities are before yours. So I know coming from a mother yourself here, that's probably the situation that you have gone through many, many times, and you are just completely just absent-minded about your well-being. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And in fact, I mean, from the decade of my 20s, when I lived alone, I either ate fast food or I ate restaurant or restaurant leftovers, or I just simply skipped the meal. I just wasn't that important to me. Um, and you're right, but that can, that's probably what led me to tipping over into autoimmunity. And it wasn't a very healthy way to live. And that's really what I had to learn when I was diagnosed with MS is how do I find a way to live that is more nourishing for my body, not just my social life. It's just, it's amazing how people, we fall into those, those situations and completely just like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that would be related to, you know, the, the cause and effect, the relations between uh, our diet and um, the outcome, you know, having these particular symptoms. And, you know, that's something that I've struggled with a lot. <laughs> if something happens to you, what happens to your kids? And I, I've always, you know, it was almost like a mantra. If I don't take care of myself, who's going to take care of my kids? There's um, a lot of pressure on you for sure to pay attention because that is what I really started diving into was how does what we eat affect how we feel and function in our world? And even as the daughter of doctors, this wasn't something I had been taught, and which isn't a surprise because doctors don't really learn anything about nutrition or healthy eating in medical school. And in fact, many doctors will tell you it doesn't matter what you eat, but it absolutely does. And the human body is full of all of these chemical and electrical reactions. And in fact, there's something like 208 chemical reactions that are happening every minute in our body to allow us to do things like see or talk or walk 
or even feel anything. So all of these things have to happen. And all of these actions need the right minerals, the right vitamins, the right nutrients in order for every all the different pieces to come into place and for things to work the way they should. So we're not even talking about inflammation yet, which disrupts everything. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> and as he gets older, a serious issue. As women progress in age, we go through many stages of our hormones um, fluctuating and outside of all, all that, because um, I know that inflammation will play a part in making it more, more uncomfortable for our stages in our life. But um, like you said, that it, it's the food that's connected, you know, the types of food that we put in our bodies is does trigger inflammation. And of course, amongst other things, if you continue down that, that path, then uh, you don't change it. And I and I'm glad to have you here because you're able to give us at least some type of advice. And uh, also some more questions about you, because I know that I want to get to know a little bit more about you as well. You know, outside of you being a naturopath uh, in a CLT, as well as a director of the Fight MS with Food Project, that I definitely want to dive into. This became your chosen field after the fact that you had gone through this and you, from your own your own personal situation, that something needed to be changed. And a lot of this is not being discussed about at all. And I'm glad you were able to stand up and talk more about that. It's more than just having to exercise and have good sleep and all of that. The, the normal things that we are supposed to do for our body, but it also is what we put into our body as well. So if you could answer this question for me, please, what is a naturopath? Could you tell me? So I am a traditional naturopath. That means that I don't work with pharmaceuticals. I don't do diagnoses and I don't do surgeries. So there is something called a naturopathic physician, which is kind of a hybrid between naturopath and allopathic doctors. And they do all of those three things, as well as what the foundation of my practice is, which is um, using natural protocols to help people heal by focusing on the root cause of what is uh, disrupting their bodies. So most, if not all symptoms are due to inflammation. So my focus is really on inflammation. And I know that if we can identify the triggers that are causing the inflammation in a person's body and remove those, then that inflammation will recede and many of their symptoms will just go away because there won't be that inflammation there. It's kind of like how when celiac sufferers discover what's wrong with them and they take wheat or gluten out of their diet, they feel much better and they live a pretty healthy life, just like normal people, as long as they stay away from wheat. But I use very sophisticated food sensitivity testing to show me exactly what the problem is for everybody. And honestly, I've never tested anybody who just had wheat as a problem. Um, many people do have wheat as, a, as a, an inflammatory issue, but not everybody. And nobody has just wheat as a problem. Because I myself, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times, um, that I myself have been vegan for over 20 years. So one of the things that, I, that had triggered me onto this path, uh, being a vegan, 
was because of the food sensitivities that I had. Uh, I decided to eliminate meat products. Um, specifically, I have not eaten meat in, my gosh, since the 90s. Um, and so at first I was a, I was a pescatarian until I became fully a vegan. But there was a time even before that, that I had a lot of irritable bowel syndrome issues. Uh, and I tried to figure out what it was. And at first I went through the, all those tests, like just a normal general physician doctor who'd ran all those tests, let me drink all that weird stuff, go through the little x-rays and find out what's going on with my gut. And they could not find anything wrong with me. And they said, well, the good news is that you don't have any polyps or any types of uh, uh, ulcers for, so you're good to go for the next 10 some years of your life. You don't have to come back. You have a good clean, clean bill of health. And I'm like, but I'm still hurting. <laughs> What's going on? And after I did my own research, um, I noticed that dairy was an issue. Eggs were an issue. Animal fat, animal meat products were hard for me to digest. Um, constantly in pain. This excruciated. It felt like you know, I don't want to compare it to that, but like endometriosis kind of a feel. It was extremely Which painful. is also inflammation, right? Because right. anything that ends in an osis or an itis, that means inflammation. Right, right. And uh, so it was just like unbearable for me. And as I started eliminating things, um, it wouldn't trigger it. It wouldn't trigger the inflammation. But yeah, that's something that I had to deal with. And this is a process of elimination after I found out. But if I had known that there was a particular test out there, I would have to go through many, many years of excruciating pain to find out like what is wrong with me, you know? So it was just um, interesting to find all of that out. But um, I love that you used your intuition and were able to identify a lot of your own triggers. Good work. I talk a lot about that because that's a great first step. I mean, this, the food sensitivity test that I use, the MRT is not cheap. So being able to suss through some things on your own um, is a lot more affordable for sure and um, can get you on a better path. My only concern is as a vegan, is that you make sure you get enough of the nutrients that you need to nourish your body. And if you're having, if you're vegan and you're eating Nutter Butters, that's not necessarily <laughs> a nutrient rich food. Oh, of course. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. I, I, I respect that because I know I should be slapping my own hand. Like you should know better, <laughs> but there is time, well, you know, and into, into every life should come some dessert, for sure. I am a big believer in treats and things like that. But you want to make sure that you're also not becoming deficient in other things and that the treats that you're choosing aren't full of all kinds of chemicals and other nasty stuff that is part of our toxic food system. Yeah. It, it can was... be very overwhelming. It can get to the point where you're like, what is, what is safe to eat? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like I just might go ahead and revise my visa and just, that's the only solution that I have to do right now is because I'm like, we are the only place in the, in the whole internationally that a lot of the things that we are eating here in, in the 
United States are completely banned there. So I'm like, you know what, just process of elimination, we'll just go ahead and just update my visa. Let's just get get it over with. But outside of that, while waiting for my yes. visa to be renewed. Um, <laughs> yeah, the reason for that is because we have to remember that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, is not in existence to protect consumers, American the American public. It is in existence to promote American business. Mm-hmm. So that's two different missions. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, completely. What is the best piece of advice you've received um, in your career or personally on your journey? So the best piece of advice I received was to let go of the little things. So the little things in life that get you so infuriated, but really are not that important in the grand scheme of things. Just let them go. That might be keeping a spotless house. Like, you know what? You can keep a clean enough house. You don't have to have it uh, spotless and be ready for a photo shoot every day of the week. Um, You know, it might be not or might be utilizing some prepared items from the grocery store when you're making dinner for your kids, not having to cook every single thing from scratch every time, just making sure that you're judicious and you choose wisely what you're going to do. But, you know, if you get a bag of baby carrots, that's a great little trick to um, make your food preparation easier, things like that. So um, I know that when I was first married, one of my big stressors was about keeping a clean house and, and getting my new husband to to pick up after himself and pick up his socks and things like that. And when I received that piece of advice to let, basically let go of the small stuff, that was hugely helpful and allowed uh, me to to go forward in a more harmonious relationship without always being angry about the things he wasn't doing that I thought he should be doing. In my clinic, I spend quite a bit of time with my clients, working with them and and leading them through so that it does making those kinds of lifestyle changes or, or priority shifts doesn't feel quite so overwhelming. A lot of it is mindset and it's it's very funny. Um, I used to think, oh, mindset, that's just total bunk. I don't really care about that. But it really can affect everything and how your mindset is and, and those whatever that little voice is inside your head that's talking to you and how mean that voice is when it talks to you and, and how critical and then how much you can evaluate the right paths and be able to implement them in an easier way because you have those tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it because I, I'm I'm glad that someone is like confirming that it's not just me that has gone through that. But and I'm glad that you're able to help with your clients on that as well, shifting their priorities into something that is more beneficial. And um, yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, mm-hmm. um, what accomplishment are you most proud of? That's such a hard question to answer, but I can look back and say that I am most proud probably of writing and publishing my cookbook. And part of that was receiving a patent on my cooking method. So I actually invented and patented a cooking method and then wrote and and ended up self-publishing a cookbook that I sold 
did really, really well. I sold 15,000 copies on my own and then I got picked up by Random House and they republished it at, under the Clarkson Potter imprint. And now I've sold more than 60,000 copies. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Wow. 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 Yeah. I'm, I'm a book reader, so I definitely need to have that link if it is available. I would love to put that in the show notes as well. If that's okay. Yes. Yes. In fact, if we want to put in the link glorious, G-L-O-R-I-O-U-S, one O-N-E, pot meals with an S, dot com. Um, anybody who's listening is welcome to go there and you can download my ultimate checklist for stocking your freezer or pantry for quick, easy, and healthy eating any night of the week. Awesome. Just, I, I really believe that part of the, the stumbling block is not having the food on hand mm-hmm. and trying to figure out the last second, what are you going to eat when you don't have any food in the house? So I'm a big believer in let's stock your house. And let's have at least foundations of meals, whether that be rice or pasta or um, frozen or canned vegetables or frozen things like frozen chicken breasts, things like that. Have them around so that even if you have been out of the country for three weeks, you can still come home and pull together a glorious one pot meal out of wholesome whole foods that will be absolutely delicious and healthy for your family. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. I am so excited because I want, I definitely want to um, share this as well as I want (laughs) to look into that link as well, because I know that I think what 85% of the, my grocery list is nothing but my kids. And maybe I might put in something in there for me. And it's like, I'm always, I'm always kind of putting myself last when it comes to that. Like, as long as the kids are eating, you know, that's fine. And then I'll maybe put something in there for me. And I need to stop thinking like that because I'm going back to that same, same circle. If I don't take care of myself, you know, um, but yeah, thank you very much. I, I would love to see that link. The idea of glorious one pot meals is that you can create the meal that you and your kids want to eat. And it's super, super easy. Um, While there are over 100 recipes in the cookbook, the intention is not that you follow any one recipe exactly. It's that you get inspired. So maybe you're inspired by a recipe that says um, uh, salmon with jasmine rice. And you're like, okay, well, um, I'll make this with salmon, or maybe you don't want to make it with salmon. You could make pork tenderloin with jasmine rice. You could make chicken breast with jasmine rice. You could make um, tuna steaks with jasmine rice. It doesn't matter. Every protein is substitutable for any protein, any carb for any carb, and any veggie for any veggie. Mm -hmm. So the concept is that you learn the technique, and now you have this method in your back pocket that you can pull out anytime look in your freezer, look in your pantry, pull out what you have, throw things together, put it in the oven in about half hour, 45 minutes, dinner's ready. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) I am like, yeah, I cannot wait to have this podcast drop. That's for sure. (laughs) I really want to share this for all the world to listen and to enjoy your book as well as the links that you are providing for us. So thank you so much. Now, I know that we have kind of discussed about the different types of, I'm not sure if there was anything else that I might have missed out, but is there a subject that you'd like to hit on? 
the two other main subjects that I like to talk about are food sensitivities and hidden parasitic infections. Yes. Should we need to identify some food sensitivities that cause migraines, fibromyalgia, irritable, and we in autoimmune disease? And I did have that jotted down. Like we should talk about this. <laughs> yes, let's let's do that. Um, can I ask you one more question? Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Of cool. The last question was: What is the single most important talent you would like your children to have? My goal with raising my children is to raise people who can make good decisions and who want to leave the world a better place than how they found it. So that all encompasses being a good person to other people, taking care of the planet and the environment and um, being aware of how their actions affect others. So that is my single, my single driving factor with being a parent is to raise children who make, who are good people who make good decisions. Yes. Yes. I think that's um, a well-rounded thing that a mother wants for their children. And, you know, I have the three boys for myself. So I just want to make sure (laughs) y'all keep it or either get it, uh, this world better than, than you coming into it because these previous generations have really did a, did a number on our earth. And if you can find a way to improve it, because I'm doing my side, but it's not enough. So if my children can do a better job and just find a way to invent something where we don't have to use these types of fossil fuels and find ways to clean up the environment. I mean, water is life. You know, I follow my brothers and sisters from the indigenous community. And I mean, they have been always spot on as to fight for the resources that mother gives us. So yeah, this is, um, I'm a little flustered with that. And I agree. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, mother nature is really who should we, we should just all be worshiping and, and paying attention to. Um, but even beyond that, talking about all the oil that is that we're using, but it's been put into all of our food products. Our food supply has just, especially in America, has just been contaminated. And our bodies did not evolve on this planet to process a substance that came from two, three miles underneath the Earth's surface. Mm-hmm. And so there is no reason why our food supply should contain all of these petroleum products. Food dyes and colors, for example, they were originally brought before the FDA in around the early 1930s. And at that time they were sourced from coal and now they're sourced from petroleum. So anytime you see um, a food item and it's so bad for the kitty market, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. all the kids' food is just brightly colored, but all that's all petroleum products that we are putting into our body. And nobody is monitoring to see how much is too much and how much any one person is getting in the average day. So you, it is buyer beware. You must read your labels. You must pay attention. You must educate yourself to stay healthy. Coming full circle in regards to the food sensitivities. um, I would love for you to share us a little bit more in regards to that, like the connections between our eating habits, um, the types of products that are put into these additives or put into our food are are correlated to the types of disorders and issues that come around, you know, for us. 
So I wish I could say, you know, everybody who is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis should avoid benzoates or something like that. It's not that easy because each person, each human being is a unique individual and each person's microbiome is absolutely unique and, and their sensitivities are based on their own genetics as well as their environmental history of their lifetimes. So my best advice is to try to stay away from anything you can't pronounce on a label, read labels religiously, stay away from artificial flavors, artificial colors, um, uh, artificial sweeteners, all these things that are not real. One of my mantras is whole foods are better than processed foods. And if you try to stick with whole foods, you can be pretty assured that you're eating cleanly, actually. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also you wanted to talk about the parasitics or parasites. I'm not sure I might be saying it incorrectly. (laughs) No, you're right. Hidden parasitic infection. The CDC um, estimates that seven out of 10 adults are carrying around a load of parasites in their body. Parasites, their job of a parasite is to find a host, move in, take up residence and populate and live happily ever after. And unless you address the parasites directly with, I think the best thing to do is an herbal parasite cleanse. um, They're just going to stick around and continue on and, The human body is designed not to appreciate foreign invaders of any kind, whether that's a bacteria or a virus or a parasite. And parasites, we don't have any internal tools or weapons to destroy parasites. You have to address them directly, externally. So it's super, super easy to pick up parasites. You can pick them up from uh, swimming in a lake or a river or even a public pool Um, chlorine doesn't necessarily get them all, uh, water parks, things like that. You can get them from walking barefoot in some areas. There's a parasite called strongolites that will come up through the soles of your feet. You can get them from eating produce that hasn't been washed carefully enough before it was cut into. Um, right now the CDC is trying to track down a, an outbreak of cyclospora that maybe is coming in through fresh cilantro can think of how frequently you've seen that on a menu or on a restaurant plate. Um, You can get parasites from playing, digging in your garden, from playing with your pets, from changing the kitty litter, um, from being, they can be carried by parasites or ticks. Lyme disease is a parasitic disease that comes from ticks. Mm -hmm. So it's just really easy. It has nothing, there's no personal stigma attached to having parasites nothing to do with your own personal hygiene. Um, Doesn't really even have that much to do if you're in a developing country or what we consider to be an industrialized country. Really, really easy, really easy to pick up parasites from eating sushi. You can definitely get parasites or undercooked pork. Mm -hmm. All of these ways are easy. At one point in the 1990s, the entire city of Milwaukee was infected with cryptosporidium through their municipal water supply. I remember that because I lived there at the time. I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for 25 years. And oh my God, you're the first person who's remembered this when I brought yeah, it up. Yeah, <laughs> cryptosporidium at the time, I believe I was 14. Uh, I'm, I'm, that was 30 years ago. So I'm 44. Yeah. So I remember at the time I did not like water. 
for some reason, I didn't like drinking water. I don't care where it came from. I did not drink water. I had my all time, and here, here we're talking about ad- additives and colors added to, to, to food and products. High C, the limited edition slime high C oh, was I my see. favorite, <laughs> was my favorite drink. I would drink nothing but that. So when the clip cryptosporidium hit, I didn't get sick because I was drinking icy. <laughs> the yeah. one time, the one time that yeah. icy has changed. Yeah, that saved my life. <laughs> didn't, didn't they used to send up icy with the astronauts? Wasn't that one that of the tang. selling points of icy? Oh, you're right. That was Tang. Yeah. My mistake. <laughs> it's right up there. So much to say. <laughs> but Tang was a powder. You had to mix it with water. So yeah. if you were a Tang fanatic, you would have gotten sick. Yeah. Yeah, I had high C. It was already uh, water was already added into this big old eighty four. Yeah, eighty four ounce. You had to put the little thing on it to open it up. I remember <laughs> once I dropped one of those cans on my toe. <laughs> oh my god! All your little bowls just said, "What's going on up there?" <laughs> but you know, my dad was a doctor, and high C was a staple in my house too. So mm-hmm. it's not like doctors knew any better, or mm-hmm. still don't know any better about nutrition and what we should be eating. Yeah. You would think from living in a home full of doctors or at least a parent that is a doctor, um, that would be something that they would hand down in in resources and information. But my mother was a dental hygienist. (laughs) And she still gave you high C. (laughs) I had more cavities that you could think of. And she always still, she calls me even now, like she's in her sixties. Like, did you floss and did you brush? I'm like, I floss maybe once a month. She's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, I just kind of give her that like shock. uh, (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, it's like, no, but even though you try to, something like you're preaching it to them and, if it doesn't come from some outsource out of your home, you don't, you won't uh, accept that information. If it's coming from your parents, you're like, whatever, roll my eyes. So what, you know, that kind of that rebellious teen or childhood, you don't listen to your parents. (laughs) It's true. Um, I myself became a regular flosser in college when my roommate was a regular flosser. And she said, you know, the bacteria in your teeth, um, if you disrupt them every 24 hours, they don't have time to settle in and form plaque. Hmm. And I thought that was the best explanation for flossing that I'd ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been helpful. It's too late. <laughs> Got my dentures in. I'm good. No, I'm just <laughs> no I still have my, all my teeth. So yeah, thankfully for this time. Yes. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So that just brought back memories. That's amazing. <laughs> but carry on with your story. I apologize I, about the cryptosporidium. I don't know if there was anything else. Oh, about parasites. So um, I myself have been infected with parasites no fewer than six or seven times that I know of, mm. um, starting when I was six years old or seven years old. And several times have been at places out of the country, once in Israel, another time in the Dominican Republic, another time in Sofia, Bulgaria, Um, but also in, as I said, in Colorado, several times in different places in America, it's just really, really super easy to pick up parasites. 
Um, one of my most severe times was when my then uh, boyfriend and I went on a five-week trip to Asia, and we did a three-week horseback trip across the Eastern Tibetan Plateau. And um, at the end of the trip, we came down off the plateau into Shendu, China, and there was a group of 15 of us, and we were um, we met at six o'clock to go to a beautiful four-star restaurant for this huge celebratory feast for completing our trip. It was delicious. But by midnight, 13 out of the 15 of us were worshiping the porcelain gods. Oh. We were, it hit fast and furious. And in fact, several people had to cancel their departure, departing flights the next day. One woman was um, on an IV in her room for several days. Um it was pretty intense. And when I came back to Colorado and submitted a stool sample, it made its way to the CDC and they identified five different parasites in my poop. Oh my and the God. CDC actually picked up the phone and called me and my apartment and said, where have you been? Is there an infestation in Denver? And I was like, no, I just got back from Asia. And they were quite relieved, I have to say. But oh, that yeah. was... That was a oh. brutal parasitic infestation. Oh so oftentimes I tell, I like to remind people that the, the cycle of a parasite or the cycle of an infestation, it begins with an acute, usually an acute incident. And you may think, oh, you know what? I traveled to Mexico and I got diarrhea or I had a 24 hour bug or, oh, I got food poisoning in Thailand or something like that. Um, that may have been the, the beginning when you were infected with a parasite and then your body settles into the chronic phase. And in the chronic phase, um, so many symptoms can turn up or not. It, everybody is a little different on how their body handles it. And you can live in this chronic phase for decades, decades. It may just manifest itself to you as, um, constipation or diarrhea, either one, or maybe digestive disturbances, um, like cramping when you eat, things like that. But it may not have anything to do with your stomach. It may be uh, vertigo. It may be nausea. It could be um, fatigue. Chronic fatigue can be a sign of parasitic manifestation mm. or infestation. Um, so really, there's no definitive symptoms that would say, oh, 100%, you've got a parasite. And even worse, there's no test that will tell you 100% definitively if you have or have not been infected with a parasite. Mm -hmm. A lot of or all parasite testing are notorious for false negatives. So if you receive a positive test, like I did when they found the five buggers in my poop, then you know 100% you got parasites. But if you receive a negative test, there's still a 50-50 chance you could be infected. Wow. Wow. So I don't even test, I don't even recommend tests for parasites. I think oftentimes just even thinking about parasites might make you start to think and it might resonate with you. And you should always trust that intuition that if if that's what's happening with you, then you definitely have parasites inside. But even if you don't, there's really no harm done to do an herbal parasite parasite protocol. Um, the one I use is a 30-day protocol, and it's very, very gentle. Starts off super slowly with like one capsule, one drop of tincture, those kinds of things. Um, I give it to babies when their moms find worms in their diapers. 
Um, I don't use it on women who are pregnant or getting pregnant or breastfeeding. But besides that, I've done it myself four or five times. It's just very gentle and very well tolerated. Wow. And so I think, um, I guess in closing, I would love for the listeners to know exactly how they are able to reach out to you for this tincture or any additional information, if that's okay to ask now, or did we have anything else that we'd like to share before we close? Um, No, I would love, I'm so happy to offer to any listener who is interested, if anything resonated with you. If you go to my website at elizabethyarnell.com and you look at the bottom of any page, it's a link and it says book a complimentary naturopathic health assessment. And please, I encourage you to do that. Let's get on the on a Zoom. Let's talk about what's going on in your body and see if the protocols that I offer could help you feel better because this is information you're not going to learn from any doctor's office. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely learning more here than I've learned for many years of going to a doctor's office. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been an honor. I You did a great job today. And I had so much fun chatting with you. Jasmine. Oh, thank you very much. Very much. Thank you. You have a wonderful weekend. And thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being a guest. Hey, you too. Thank you for having me on. And it was such a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, yes, you as well. Thank you. All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Noise Blue Zion podcast. And if you enjoy listening to my podcast, please don't hesitate to give me a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Also wanted to give a shout out and thank you so much to all my guests, past, present, and future. And stay tuned for the next upcoming episode on Fridays.